British Broadcasting Century. Hello, hello, this is Paul Carenza calling. This is London College. Well, hello, hello. It's Paul here. Slightly different show this week, uh, largely because I've been in hospital. Uh, nothing too serious, worry not. And it's also far too unsuitable an area for polite conversation. So we'll say no more about the specifics. But I'm resting up and, and this podcast is entirely done by me. And my hospital trip has set me back a few days. So the next episode was meant to be all about P.P. Eckersley. Now, if you know anything about the history of radio, then you'll know we cannot rush Captain Eckersley. We need to give him all the space and the time that we have. So I thought, no, I can't rush out the Eckersley episode in my now limited recovery time. Instead, I thought I would put out something, a mini-sode, I think they call it. And it's fitting, I think, to make you wait for Eckersley, given that the British public had to wait a year and a half after the government banned radio broadcasts in 1920. Imagine hearing no radio for a year and a half, and you couldn't even resort to a podcast or Netflix. Just complete radio silence. Well, nearly complete, because the government did actually allow low-power amateur radio hams. So I thought, let's have an episode about one of them. So if you know your radio history, you may know of Peter Eckersley, but I will wager that almost no one knows about William Lequeux. Hmm, not a major pioneer, so why would we? But he was an amateur radio fanatic in the early 1920s, an anorak before the term anorak, and indeed he was a writer from Guildford. Now I'm a writer from Guildford, so when I heard of Mr Lequeux, who it turns out stopped writing for a while so he could enjoy his radio fanaticism, which is, again, kind of similar to what I'm doing here. It turns out he was broadcasting on Guildford ZAZ a hundred years ago from about a mile away from this wardrobe studio that I find myself in now. Well, you can see it all struck a chord with me. So I thought I'd bring you a bit of William Lequeux's story on this short podcast. My hospitalisation is his gain. And before we close today, I've got a little tale about hospital radio I thought I'd tell you as well. I will be honest, it's a bit of a heartbreaker, maybe. So uh, there'll be a warning if you're having a rough day. But, you know, I think it's worth telling. And it's something that I hold quite dear about the power of radio. Uh, Plus another early broadcasting memory that's been sent in. We really need a name for that feature. If you've got any ideas, I mean, the best I've got, Desert Island Broadcasts. It doesn't really work. Broadcast Away. It's it's not right, is it? Memory Lane. uh, Stop me now. That is not it. Uh, Do tweet me any ideas at BB Century of what we call this feature. Anyway, this time, it's illustrator Rachel Berman bringing a more recent broadcasting memory, an animated wonder of the world, sure to inspire any illustrator. And I'm well aware, people do say with radio, the pictures are always better. First, though, some correspondence. Delighted to hear from uh, Jim Salmon at emmatock.com. His website, by the way, is brilliant. If you like this sort of thing, a bit of radio history geekery, and you want some more, get to emmatock.com. That's E-M-M-A-T-O-C.com. C-O-M, I'm sure you know how to spell that bit. It's an online archive. It's a library. It's the Internet's Museum of Early Wireless. If you're hungry for more, there are old radio shows galore there for you. And right now, they're also actually broadcasting on shortwave Radio Emmatock World Service. Uh, You can find them on Spotify and on Podbean as well. Search for Radio Emmatock World Service. I went back to the Melba Centenary episode. We had some lovely feedback on that. Thank you. And uh, great as well to actually get this podcast on like actual radio as well. You know radio. It's, uh, It's like podcasts, but all in a row. 
So yeah, in fact, on the 100th anniversary of the Melbourne concert, I was lucky enough to start the day talking to Zoe Ball on Radio 2 Breakfast Show. I will try and put the uh, link to that in the show notes if possible. And then BBC Local Radio Plenty, before ending the day with a Facebook Live talk type of thing on the history of radio, with, of course, a notorious technical cutout just before the end, because a 100 years on, things still don't always work. Uh, started the day with up to a few million listeners then on Radio 2, ended the day with about uh, 12 on Facebook Live and everywhere in between. So thank you if you joined in anything on that day. Fun, fun, fun. Also worth Googling around and finding the Chelmsford Theatre's Facebook page. They recreated the Melba broadcast. And again, that had a few technical problems, just like the original Melba one. But well worth a look to see the proper version that's now out there. And while we're speaking of Facebook Lives and things, uh, throughout lockdown, which as far as I'm concerned is ongoing, at least till the comedy clubs reopen, I am doing a regular Tuesday evening entertainment show on Facebook Live. You are welcome to join any Tuesday. It's live 8pm on facebook.com slash paul.carenza slash live. I've had some feedback on the Pick of the Pioneers episode. That was the first episode when I chose a top five countdown of scientists who gave us wireless telephony. Morse, Maxwell, Hertz, Lodge, Marconi. Yeah, I foolishly asked on Facebook and Twitter at BB Century Pages, do follow us there, uh, for radio fans to guess my top five wireless pioneers. Well, the flack I got for not including Tesla. I did name check Tesla but I slightly dismissed him and Edison, and I didn't even mention Michael Faraday or Joseph Henry or Alexander Popov. Even Peter Eckersley, next week's featured broadcasting pioneer. Even Peter has complained too. This is from 60 years ago. Most people remember, most people believe that Marconi invented, uh, invented wireless. Yeah. Well, if you look into the history of the thing, I don't think you'll find that that's quite true. There was a gentleman called Faraday, there was another called Hertz, and uh, even as a demonstration of wireless was done by one Hughes, long before Marconi or Tesla or even Popov, which the Russians tell me invented radio. All you can do is to paint the highlights to bring out the main events and not be bothered by people who half-hinted at the things to come. More from Peter next week. Really, we needed a top ten. Uh, so I thank you to Mark Loveday, Mike Fackerty, Karen Dibbons-Wyatt, Graham Casey, all of you for correcting me. Faraday, yes. I mean, where would we be without Faraday in the dark, literally and knowledge-wise? Michael Faraday in 1831 discovered electromagnetism, got us all going on this journey. So yes, that, he is a biggie. Oh, and Faraday started the Royal Institution Christmas Lectures for Young People. Well, that's got to be a good thing. It might have even inspired a teenage Marconi to realise that scientists can start quite young. Who knows? And of course, how far back do you go for the historical story of broadcasting? Someone actually said 600 BC, ancient Greece, the philosopher Thales of Miletus, I think he's pronounced that way, spotted tiny particles when you rubbed amber with a bit of cloth. I mean, that's a long way to go before you get to Tony Blackburn, but, you know, I see your point. Speaking of things we missed out, uh, this is clearly going to be an episode of Corrections, isn't it? Like the Guardian newspaper. Now, in the last episode, uh, we had that mighty chat from the Emperor Roscoe. Uh, more from him in future, by the way. He has plenty more to tell. And he mentioned Radio Caroline founder Ronan O'Reilly. Well, it's worth marking Ronan's recent sad demise. The captain of Pirate Radio left us a couple of months ago as I record this. 
pirate flags at half-mast. And another Ronan O'Reilly factoid, all rights reserved Steve Wright in the afternoon, he was George Lazenby's manager during the one Bond film that he did, you know, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So Ronan O'Reilly was the one who advised Lazenby not to sign up to any more Bond films. No future in Bond, he said. Roger Moore must have been grateful. Right then, let's have a quick burst of our story of radio. To be on target for the birth of the BBC by about episode 12. And, oh yes, we've got some big characters to meet. So, last episode, the government effectively banned radio broadcasts. No more licences to Marconi's, etc. But there is a glimmer of hope. They do allow low-power amateur tinkering. Just 10 watts output, which is not very much at all. And a limited supply of receiving licences. You know, in other words, so you can tune in. But they're only given out to men of good character, I quote. References were sought if you wanted to actually listen in. Between 1920 and 1921, the General Post Office issued 150 transmitting licences and 4,000 receiving licences. So there's a rough idea there of how many people were trying to broadcast radio and how many were trying to listen to it. In this gap year or two, you've got our regular characters, Arthur Burroughs. He's campaigning for radio and doing radio demonstrations. He's still hopeful that there's a future for broadcast radio. Marconi, he's on a yacht off the Italian coast. He's uh, more a veteran pioneer at this point. Ditcham and Round, they're now back to being engineers rather than broadcasters. And with the close down of the Chelmsford factory, all that kit is then taken to Ireland or Cornwall to those Marconi properties there. And Captain Eckersley, who we'll meet next time, well, at this point in history, 1920 to 1922, he is still with his experimental division in Rittle, in this village just near where the old Chelmsford factory was. And he's looking at civil aviation and how to get them wirelessly communicating. So who's making the radio noise then? Well, one of these domestic tinkerers at ground level was, like me, an author living in Guildford. The novelist William Lecue previously took over Marconi's old Italian flat by chance, so Lecue moved in when Marconi moved out, and there he found some of Marconi's leftover radio kit. Clearly didn't bother taking with him. So Lecue began dabbling with it in his spare time, found a new hobby as an amateur experimenter in between writing his books. You know, a little bit like what I'm doing, except William Lecue wrote 150 books and I've written about eight. Lecue possessed, and I quote... Various sets, coherers, magnetic and electrolytic detectors, and various crystals. Yeah, he's not a mystic. The crystals are needed for the sets. He aimed for long-distance radio telephony, speech and music, like the Chelmsford pioneers had done. And he managed it. No mean feat for that low-power output that he was tied to. 1920, LeCue set up a pre-BBC radio station in Surrey. ZAZ Guildford began broadcasting news, music and nursery rhymes. Their signals reached as far as Aberdeen. LeCue wrote, I commenced nightly gramophone concerts and talks to amateurs, all of which was greatly appreciated as the first attempt to broadcast, badly modulated and uncertain though it was. <clears throat> Again, badly modulated. Sounds familiar. Now, this account is from Asa Briggs's doorstop of a book, The Birth of Broadcasting. He reckons that if you had ground-level innovators like William LeCue, then wireless radio was clearly slipping out of the grasp of government and tight regulation and laboratory-style scientific research. Radio belongs to the people, which is, I guess, why we are here now doing this, I suppose. So thank you, William LeCue and others like you. I never read your book, sir, but it turns out you wrote 150 of them. They kind of predicted the First World War, weirdly enough. And one of your serialisations even helped save the Daily Mail from tanking. But you also sang Aberdeen to sleep from Guildford 100 years ago.
Now it's time for Memory Lane. Yeah, we need a better title than that. Don't forget, you can send your broadcasting inspirations in. Just record an audio clip of a minute or two with your name, where you're from, and... Well, something like this. Hi, my name is Rachel Berman, and I'm an illustration student at the University of Edinburgh. One of my earliest and fondest memories is of The Simpsons. I'm talking season one until seven Simpsons, so in my opinion, the absolute classics. My brother and I became addicted to the comedy stylings of Dan Castellaneta as Homer J. Simpson. His famous dope, along with many other Homerisms, made their way into our everyday vernacular. We grew to see ourselves as adjacent to the characters of the cartoon family, only with alternate roles. I, the menace of a sibling, much like Bart, and my brother, a more cerebral and balanced individual, with straight A's, just like Lisa. We would commonly make fun of our father for at times making similar gaffes to Homer. He would laugh with us on it, so it was okay. The Simpsons served as an entry point into the real world for us as children, which is ironic because the show is animated, which is usually indicating a more juvenile theme. But The Simpsons was very different than that. Um, They were rife with socio-political messagery and cynical commentary on the human condition. I never ceased to marvel at the relevance of a lot of the content from the early years of Mr. Groening's show. You could rewatch any episode from the third season, for example, and find that many of the messages still hold true. This is part and parcel of the magic that is The Simpsons. It's resonance, relevance, and rhetoric. Thank you, Rachel. And finally then, the reason this episode is brief is because I've been in hospital and that has delayed the full Eckersley episode for next time, which should land on time, although forgive a minor delay if I'm not completely recovered because I am, so to speak, the head cook and bottle washer of this podcast. But let us see. Now, hospital radio is in fact where I started. So when I was in hospital this week, watching all the brilliant medical staff in pandemic-y days just being amazing, and the patients needing a bit of joy and a lift, it made me think about my time on Hospital Radio Way. Now, a disclaimer. This story is, I think, worth telling, but it's got a bit of a downer in it. I think it's bittersweet, but given this podcast is normally a safe, nostalgic haven, if you are having a tough day, come back to this episode when you don't mind hearing a tale that I think is encouraging about the power of radio. But but anyway, it's something I think about a lot. So I did a request show every Saturday morning and I would open up the studio, then head to the wards with a clipboard and I'd ask patients and staff for any song requests they would like. And to be honest, most patients were, let's say, average age of 85-ish. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But let us just say the overwhelming favourite request was normally Frank Sinatra. Fine by me. But it stood out on the ward then when one Saturday late morning, a slightly younger chap checked in with his family. Not uncommon, but you know, you notice it, you clock it. I remember him as Andy. I don't think that was his name, but let's call him that. Now, Andy was about 40. Uh, His wife and his two daughters were unpacking his bag for him into the small bedside locker. He'd clearly just got there. And if I'm honest, he seemed absolutely fine. I couldn't tell what was up with him at all. In fact, because he was like a young Michael Palin sort of type, I think I mistook him for a consultant when I first reached his bedside. So I asked, any requests? The songs will go out in about an hour. And he said, sure, why not? The kids would still be here then, visiting. Might be nice to hear. Pearl's a singer, Elkie Brooks, he said, his all-time favourite. Great. Played it an hour later. This goes out to Andy, etc. Next week, I toured the wards again. And he's still there. Rare, I would say. Most patients would stay a few days and were gone by the time I'd come round a week later, normally. Obviously, now he's unpacked his bags, he's in his hospital bed. Still nothing obvious to me wrong with him, though clearly something is keeping him in for a week. 
And he remembered me. Oh, yes, thank you for the song, he said. Would you like another? I said. Oh, yeah, go on. Same again. Pearl's a singer. And I played again for him. Next Saturday, he's still there. The doctors are doing their rounds. So I don't get to actually ask him. So I just play the song for him anyway. I know what he'd like. Pearl's a singer. Elkie Brooks. Another week or two, I do the rounds and he doesn't remember me. So I introduce myself. Hello, I'm Paul. Would you like any requests for the radio? And it's like I've never been here before. Oh, I'd love a request, he says. Pearl's a singer. My absolute favourite. Oh, and his wife and kids, they're back visiting again. They smile at me. They, they do remember me. Next few weeks, I come round. It's like the first time we met, and he always picks the same song. Each time, I show him the headphones. I tell him when it will be on. One week, when his family are there, one of his daughters tells me that he listens every single week, and he loves hearing his song. A few more Saturdays on, and he doesn't remember me again, but he also doesn't remember his favourite song. I'd love a request, he says. Could you play, um, oh, what should we have? Pearl's a singer, I suggest. Yeah, why not, he replies. I played it that week for him, rather tearily, if I'm honest. The last time I saw him, he was under the care of the nurses, so I couldn't reach him. But I think that song reached him through those headphones a lot longer than many other attempts to communicate may have done. The power of music, the connection of broadcasting. And of course, I played it again for him that week, and I would play it now on the podcast But it's a bit too recent a song for the rights to be cleared. We just play the oldies on here, the very oldies. But whenever I hear Pearls a singer, I always think of Andy. Now, sorry, I know it's a bit of a downer, but you know when they say to radio presenters, try to picture the listener, who are you actually speaking to? And normally they mean there's a certain demographic the station are trying to reach. You know, are you speaking to Elsie from Eastbourne or Vince from Peckham? Well, I often picture Andy from that ward. It helps me to remember that however broad broadcasting is it's still about connecting with that one listener and also that sometimes you might imagine one demographic that the station's aiming for but actually you could be making a real connection with an unpredictable unguessable person that you can't imagine unless you'd met them like I had the opportunity to do you know we've been saying on this podcast for weeks that Marcona used to always say that wireless is about communicating one-to-one rather than one-to-many But maybe Marconi was right. It is still just one-to-one. It's just one-to-lots of ones. And in the week that I heard that BBC Local Radio has had over a million people call or message their stations in the 100 days of their Make a Difference lockdown campaign, I think it's as good a time as any to champion radio. Anyway, I'll step off my soapbox. That's it for this week. Uh, Yep, no clips. And uh, forgive the slight lack of finesse. This is more guerrilla podcasting. We record, we put it out there, and that means I can go and recover on the sofa. Back to fighting fitness and full podcast next week as we meet the Chris Evans of 1922, Captain Peter Eckersley. Please do rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies, write in chalk on pavements, whatever you need to do to point people this way. If you would like to support the podcast, patreon.com slash Paul Carenza has perks or coffee.com, ko-fi.com slash Paul Carenza buys me a coffee just to say you've enjoyed it. The British Broadcasting Century is presented and produced by me, Paul Carenza, with original music by Will Farmer. Isn't it a peach? Oh, and we're not affiliated in any way to the BBC, by the way. Good to make that clear. We do like them, though, and all who broadcast. Stay informed, educated, entertained and well. And join us next time on the British Broadcasting Century.